Hi, everybody. Welcome to another PR Masters podcast. And this, by the way, is our 82nd. We've been running our PR Master podcast for about four years now, and it's our honor and privilege to talk to the leaders in our public relations industry. And today's no exception. I'm Mark Stevens, your host, and I am pleased to present to you an old friend as well as somebody who's really built a tremendous organization. And he is my old friend, Rick French. And Rick is chairman and CEO of French West Vaughan, a public relations, public affairs, advertising, and digital media agency with offices in Raleigh, New York City, Detroit, L.A., and Tampa. FWV has ranked as one of the nation's 25 largest independently owned public relations agencies and one of the world's 75 largest integrated marketing agencies, independent or otherwise, every year since 2007. That's great. Wow. And Rick's firm, which is a 30 times National Agency of the Year recipient, also Midsize Agency of the Year, and also Global PR Agency of the Year, represents some of the world's leading companies and brands, including Wrangler, Bahama Air, Chateau St. Michel Wine Estates, Mitsubishi Electric, LG Energy Solutions, the Guinness Book of World Records. Gosh, you got some good ones there. His firm has won over 1,600 PR and advertising awards since its inception 27 years ago. And Rick French himself has been named one of North Carolina's most influential individuals by Business NC North Carolina three times and has twice been named Business Leader of the Year by North Carolina Business Leader magazine. Editors of two leading PR trade publications have awarded Rick French their Agency Professional of the Year, and he's gotten it five times over the past decade. He was named by PR Week as one of the 300 most influential communicators in the world. Wow, you have some, some background, Rick, and I am so privileged to talk to you today because I know you have a lot to share. So, Rick French, how are you today? I am wonderful, Art. Thank you for the very kind uh, introduction. Uh, you know, I hear that bio and some of those things and think, how in the world did uh, did I get to that place? But it's through uh, good friends and mentors and people that I've intersected with uh, over my career that have allowed that to happen, uh, yourself included. So it's always great to talk to you, my friend. Well, thank you. It's my privilege and honor to have you with us today. You know, Rick, your agency has really been one of the hottest tickets in town. Your revenues have increased. You handle any number of blue chip clients. I just named a few in the introduction. And the quality of life that you're known for within your agency is renowned. How did you do it? How did you do it? <laughs> a little bit of luck and some some good vision, I guess. Um, you know, when I started the firm back in 1997, I decided from uh, as, as I was kind of incorporating the agency that we wanted to be a national agency and really the first national agency to come out of this part of the country here in North Carolina and happened to be based in Raleigh rather than a Raleigh agency that was looking to acquire national clients. And and that mindset of of being a national agency from day one then was the driver of our new business strategy, of our hiring strategies, of the way that we presented and looked at ourselves. We went in, as far and wide as we could to find clients all over the map. 
so that we could help build that story. And I think that set us up well for the success that we've had over the last now 27 years. Wow. So, you know, given the growth of your agency, and obviously you do more than just public relations, as I indicated a moment ago, you're into digital and advertising and all, all forms of marketing communications. How has your role changed in the uh, organization itself? What what was your role when you started and what is your role today? I think in the beginning, you know, I was very hands-on with the clients that uh, that came with me when I formed my firm from another agency, uh, that being Wrangler, who's been with me now for 32 years um, wow. as well. Wow. I was very hands-on in the day-to-day strategy and an execution of um, the work that we were doing for them. You know, as your firm grows and as you bring on people to um, to do some of that work for you, your role inevitably changes. And so, you know, we're a large organization now with, uh, you know, a number of offices. I also have um, a lot of other business interests as well outside of um, the agency business and uh, sports and entertainment and film and television and so on. So my role has become very much um, being a guiding hand in guiding the company, uh, making sure that we're making the right business decisions. Uh, I focus on uh, merger and acquisition opportunities. We tend to be an acquirer rather than a seller, although we did uh, have a sale of, of one of our offices this year strategically. So it's really a high-level uh, guidance of the firm and and trying to be a mentor to uh, to my team to teach them how to run an agency, uh, the do's and don'ts through the, my own trials and errors over the years, and, and really focusing very much on big-picture thinking for where to take French West Vaughan and our affiliates you know, into the next decade. And and that's my day-to-day role today. You know, Rick, as you and I have chatted over the years, you know, I, I know that you are involved in a number of other businesses. I would like you to describe to our listeners, you know, the kinds of other things you're into. They're really fascinating, particularly the sports and entertainment parts. Uh, and then my follow-up question would be, how do you do it all? But let's start with what they are and how you got into them. <laughs> okay. So I'll have to back up to uh, something that became kind of a a driver of some of this back in, I guess it's been about 16, 17 years ago. I I had helped um, get a licensing company started that uh, we bolted on to French West Vaughan uh, back in the late 90s. And the idea behind the licensing company was to um, help our clients extend into brand categories that they weren't currently in. So, for example, you might have a um, uh, an apparel company. I won't give specific names. Or you might have a consumer product company that is looking to extend their brand into new channels. And so uh, I invested in a licensing company. I was the majority owner of that company. And we started to get very deep into the home goods space. And we had furniture lines and cookware lines and everything for your home. And we had a, we developed a partnership with HGTV. We had a lot of their personalities that we were representing for celebrity lines. And um, I made the strategic decision to sell that business, um, you know, about 16, 17 years ago, and that was it was a, a very large exit. 
And that exit gave me the means to start my own capital fund. And um, I started investing in sports and entertainment properties because those were things that aligned with my lifestyle interests. And so um, I've been a, uh, a owner of a professional baseball team, a minor league uh, baseball affiliate of the Cincinnati Reds. I previously was co-owner of another a minor league team, a Los Angeles Dodgers affiliate. Um, I've invested in other sports properties where I've um, diversified uh, and, and in some cases sold those off. And then I joined my my capital fund with a private equity fund, and we uh, took ownership stakes in three NBA franchises. So I have stakes in three different NBA clubs because of the um, – owning multiple clubs, I can't have a day-to-day say in those, but I can hold my ownership interests in the clubs themselves. So I do that. And then I have a uh, film and television uh, production company that's very, very active with offices uh, here in my headquarters building and in Hollywood where I'm making uh, major motion pictures and documentaries. I just signed on to a new project with Amplin Entertainment on uh, the making of the uh, documentary on the making of Hamilton. Um, I'm doing a major motion picture that's got an NFL backdrop that uh, that will be out this year. I've partners with Dwayne Johnson on another project. So it's, it's very active. And the whole idea behind the sports and entertainment was to um, give our clients access into those worlds through those relationships. Uh, and that access has served some of our clients very well. And it's also great for new business purposes to be able to talk about the access that you have into those worlds and channels and how we can get our clients uh, involved in in things that they might not otherwise have a path into. You know, I don't think even the big holding companies are as involved in some of these other niches as you are. Am I accurate in saying that? No, I think that is accurate. I think that um, I think that we do it at a different level because uh, because of my ownership stake, and, um, and 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 I don't know anybody who is as active in film and television um, as an extension as we are. There are there are many agencies that are creating brand focused content, uh, long form and so on. I don't know many that are involved in actual financing, production, setup, distribution, marketing of projects of the scale that um, that I'm currently doing. They, they, it may exist. I may not be familiar with it, but I, I've not crossed paths with, uh, with anybody that does. And, and, you know, part of the idea behind that was to also create product placement opportunities, co-marketing opportunities, things like that for for clients. And so it's part of a larger vision. It, it, it may align with my personal interests, but it, it is also a unique halo that we are able to place over French West Vaughan because of those relationships. Uh, mm-hmm. Same thing in music, uh, through all the, the music endeavors that I'm involved with. And, and that, again, um, provides access that, that I think a lot of other agencies can't easily provide. And um, and so, you know, I, I think it, it does uniquely differentiate us from, from many others. I would imagine that this obviously is a tremendous enabler for you to generate new business as well as to provide all kinds of additional, perhaps in some cases, unexpected services and benefits, you know, to your present clients. 
Can you give us an, an example without necessarily naming names as to how, let's say, one sample client has benefited from all of the uh, niches that you're in, you know, starting with the time they may have signed up with you for basic public relations. And you were obviously able to give them the kind of services and support that truly most, if not all, other PR agencies are able to do. Uh, can you give us one example of how one thing led to another and enabled you to, you know, to, to provide multiple benefits to a, a particular account? Sure. Well, we've got um... – we have clients that have gotten involved with us um, with the production entity in product placement opportunities where they're getting uh, significant on-screen uh, airtime for their products. Uh, so in other words, you may have the star of a particular project that is wearing a product or consuming a product. Um, I have to be a little careful because of non-disclosure agreements. Of related course, to of course. Yeah. But, yeah. but they may consuming the product on air for a period of time. They may be wearing the product on their body. Uh, we may also be putting the cast and other uh, support um, uh, in, in some of that product. And then you can create co-marketing opportunities that come out of it, but in the marketing of the film or the television show, as the case may be. And then you've got social media applications for it where you can engage the talent to help promote the brand. And so you're able to carry it all the way through. And so every time I sign on to a project to uh, to produce something, uh, lend my name to it, whatever the case may be, I'm looking for that opportunity to how can I engage our clients in that? Because consumers are influenced, as we all know, by Hollywood in ways and, and professional sports in ways that almost no other – uh, industries can can drive. Now, you're seeing some changes in that through viral creators and TikTok and certain social media. But traditionally, our, our cultural heroes have been drivers of consumer taste. You know, if Taylor Swift wears a particular uh, piece of apparel, it sells out in seconds. Right. There, there, there are many people like that that are able to do that. So if you are in that world and intersecting with them, then you have the ability to uh, influence some of um, of what they are helping promote. And that's what some of these projects allow our clients to do. Rick, uh, you know, clearly you're, you know, you're way above and beyond being labeled, uh, you know, just a public relations professional. You do that well. But obviously, you're really a businessman and an entrepreneur. Did you think that when you got into public relations that you'd be doing some of these things now? No. Thank you for saying that. But but no, I did not. I um, I kind of um, – it just evolved over time. I, I wouldn't say I stumbled into it. I, I had my own career goals and things that I wanted to be involved with if given the opportunity. I don't know that I thought that it would multiply at the – at the rate that it has over time. But these were all things that I, I figured that if I never felt like practicing in public relations felt like work, I've never felt that way. I've always felt like it's a privilege that I have the greatest job in the world and being able to work with, uh, with, with clients who have business challenges and they need some advice and counsel on how to solve them. So when I, when I got involved in, in many of these other areas, 
I felt like for me to want to do it, it had to be a natural extension of the things that I like to do because it was going to take even more of my time. So if I could find a way to converge my business interests with my personal interests, then I would feel like I was never working or it would never at least feel like work. And, and so I've been able to do that, you know, so for example, if I work a, a an 830 to six day normal day overseeing and guiding the agency and our holdings, and I'm going home at night and I'm working on some of these music projects I'm working with, with people around the world, or I'm working in film where they're three hours behind and I'm providing notes on a script or doing things like that. It doesn't feel like work to me. I know it is, hmm. but it doesn't feel that way because I enjoy it. And the people that I'm crossing path with are, are interesting people and I'm learning from them. And so in that regard, the agency has never felt like work to me. And none of these other things feel like work to me as well. But by um, kind of walking between the world of marketing services, professional sports, entertainment, music, I'm, I'm, I'm in a, I'm in a sphere of influence that, that I think creates a point of differentiation for our agency. And that's what PR is all about. So how do you stay current? You know, obviously you're involved in a number of different areas. How do you stay current and uh, ahead of the competition in what you do? And are there, as a follow-up to that, are there any other niches given those that you've described that you still want to get into? Um, so I, I read and read and read in terms of, of world events. I, I consume a lot of news. I, cons I, I do so from multiple perspectives. I, I don't buy into confirmation bias. I spend a lot of time looking at various news outlets and how they're reporting stories from different slants. I, I may read the same article four or five times from four or five different newspapers and publications to see if I can glean a slant in the reporting. The idea is to stay up on world events. And then in our industry, I read everything that comes across my inbox and desk and uh, probably at the expense of reading books and doing other things. I try to stay very current with trends so that I can anticipate what might be coming around the corner, because I think that's the biggest thing that public relations as a practice can do. It is not the tactical execution of generating earned media or doing any of the things that are tactical. Strategically, public relations, a public relations professional needs to be able to look around corners. They need to be able to forecast and see what is ahead so that they can provide guidance to their clients um, to anticipate if they take this action, it's likely to result in this outcome. And I don't think you can do that if you don't have a very wide and well-informed worldview. And so personally, that's how I try to um, stay relevant is to understand everything that's going on in the world and how it might have a direct or indirect impact on our clients. Interesting, interesting. Listeners, you can learn something from Rick on this subject. Very well put. Um, 
My next question, Rick, is one that I ask every one of our guests on the PRMS's podcast series, uh, and the answers are often very, very surprising. Uh, and that is, how did you get into public relations in, in initially? Is this something that you were always in, uh, yearning to do, you know, back in college or high school? Or like so many other of our uh, uh, podcast guests, you got into it by accident. Which, which route did you take? Did you know you wanted to be in public relations? Had, had no desire to be in public relations. In fact, like a lot of uh, journey majors, I, I wasn't sure how I felt about public relations. It was, you know, they used to jokingly talk about it being the dark side. And I was a journalism major, and I was a, I was a practicing journalist. I, I, I was writing for community newspapers and even a daily newspaper in the metro Detroit area as a freelancer uh, when I was in college. And I, um, I always wanted to be a journalist, and I started my career as a print and then television journalist. And um, and I was I was enjoying that. I, I might argue that's still my favorite job ever, um, but it was very low pay, and I was working tremendously long hours, both doing uh, working for um, community newspapers and then a daily in in Detroit during the day, and then I was doing freelance. Uh, reporting for a ABC affiliate at night, and I was wearing myself out. And I tend to take on too much sometimes, <laughs> and so I have to be very orderly and good at time management and, and so on. And I found myself kind of getting worn down. And and this PR opportunity presented itself um, with a bank holding company. I happened to be covering a municipal beat, and the town manager was friends with a woman who was recruiting for a public relations position with Comerica Bank in, in Detroit. And they needed somebody who was a, a very good writer to, to work in internal stations and, and do at that time what was called outstate media relations outside of the 50-mile radius of a bank's holding company before the banking industry deregulated. And so um, I said I wasn't really interested in making a career change, but I would listen, and uh, I sat down uh, with the woman, and she explained the job, and we started talking compensation, and it was more than I was making at a time when, you know, I was looking at the time to get married and, and uh, you know, buy a house and do things like that, and and so I, I thought long and hard about it, but I um, I decided to give it a shot, figuring I could always go back to journalism and um, and really never went back, obviously. So that's kind of yeah. how it got started. Yeah. So you you took us in public relations. What then propelled you? I, when you and I met, I know you headed the PR division of, of a, I think it was a North Carolina advertising agency. Right. What made you go out on your own? So I felt at the time, and that, that's, that's right, I, I was doing that for a firm that uh, – that's no longer in existence, but at the time it was a it was a large regional firm, and I had helped kind of get it started and really grow it. But you know, I didn't have any equity in in the firm, and I that wasn't really the driver as much as it was that I felt like public relations was just seen as a below the line service. It was never going to be, in their minds, the lead communications discipline. As an, as an old line ad agency, everything was driven by 
you know, the 30-second ad campaign and uh, print advertising. And public relations was just a bolt-on to that. And so it really wasn't so much about wanting ownership. I, 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 was, I was compensated well. I, I enjoyed the firm. It was really about feeling like the industry was changing and they weren't, they weren't ready to embrace that. I felt like public relations was quickly moving to become the dominant communications discipline and that it was set up because inherently it allowed you to intersect with multiple audiences and get at least two-way feedback, whereas advertising was one-way directed messaging. And my feeling at the time was that the future was moving away from advertising and toward public relations. And, and as much as I tried to get them to understand that and pivot the agency towards that, it was by far the fastest part in growing part of the agency anyway, they just were unwilling to embrace that at the time. And so I decided to go out and, um, and, and try to start my own firm. I, in a unique situation, I was introduced to a gentleman who owned another firm, an ad and PR agency in another part of the state. He had a, um, a kind of a seed capital fund, and so he invested in the startup of um, what is now French West Vaughan, and, uh, and we were off and running. I, I bought him out many, many years later at a very large multiple to him. So the investment was great for him, but it was also great for me because it gave me a little bit of security and working capital in the beginning to get started and, and start to grow the agency. So uh, it was a win-win proposition, but it was really all driven by uh, a desire to, to have an agency where public relations was the lead discipline. So when uh, obviously you're, you're in a variety of niches, entertainment, sports, and what have you, motion pictures. When a client hires your agency, do they take all of those into account or do you really focus on public relations when you go pitch them? You know, I, we present the, the full suite of capabilities, but they tend to gravitate towards the things that they think they need at a particular time. And then, you know, as we start to build a trusting relationship together, they often get exposed to the other areas that we can support them in. But very often they're coming in with a, an idea of what it is that they need. You know, our, our PR reputation, which, is, which has been very strong for, you know, going on three decades now, often casts a very long shadow over our advertising. So sometimes it's even more difficult to talk about our ad and creative capabilities because of the reputation on the PR side. But in time, we often then are doing creative work or media planning and buying or social, obviously social media marketing, which is more closely aligned today with PR. But it, um, it tends to often start with PR, with them looking for a PR agency, but not always. Rick, what's your view of AI? I think it's rolling the industry right now. I think that um, it has it has the capacity to uh, be a tool in creating um, good work product for agencies. But what I'm seeing out there right now is a lot of um, AI-generated content that isn't being written by an actual person. It's being 
it's being presented under a name it's being um it's being marketed on on through SEO as authoritative and it's not and so it also has the potential for a lot of fraud a lot of deep fakes uh we're seeing that and so you know AI AI as a tool is interesting you know I was a uh, partner in a company that was doing the initial architecture that was later sold to a third party that was then sold to chat GPT. Um, it was in a unique partnership where we were developing it for social media purposes to have um, to present to celebrities so that they could keep themselves away from trouble by um, the AI suggesting unique keywords that they should and should not use in doing social media posting. And I was doing that in partnership with a very major media company that we were developing. And ultimately we sold the architecture. So we've had a uh, kind of an understanding of what AI can and can't do for a long period of time. And even back in the days when we were developing this product through this company uh, that I backed, I had some concerns about how it would be used, and those concerns have not abated. Um, we have to get some controls of it. There has to be some regulation of AI. There has to be some professional standards uh, laid out as to how AI should or shouldn't be used by agencies. So there's a lot of work ahead of us to harness the power of it. Hmm. So obviously there is fraud, there is plagiarism that are still, you know, major negatives in the, the use of AI. Uh, plagiarism is a huge issue. I mean, they're basically that's what AI is is doing. It's it's adaptive learning where they're they're taking content that has been produced by somebody else and you know and and repackaging it and often packaging yeah. it on. Yeah. A, a name and an individual that doesn't even exist in real life and uh, putting bylines under that person's name. It's, it's a problem for sure. And it's something that has yeah. to be addressed, be regulated. Yeah. Well, we've got it long and well, many years ago, I guess, before it's going to be controlled, I suppose is the best word to use for it. Rick, another question though I have for you, and that is about the world of public relations in general. Uh, where do you think the profession is today, you know, uh, from where you started in it uh, a few years back? Do you like where it's at? And uh, what are your views on where it's going? I mean, obviously, AI and other technology will become part of it. Uh, one of the reasons why, I guess, you know, PR has in some ways overtaken advertising with all the tools at its disposal. But uh, are you happy with the, the world of PR today? Well, I think the world of PR is is redefining itself. I think that um, PR as a definition is changing. The uh, Many PR agencies are now the lead creative and content curation agencies for their clients. It's not advertising agencies anymore. Um, I think the use of analytics and uh, research and data that's been brought forward are, are things that um, we can call it PR, but the truth is that we're, we're living in a world of pared down newsrooms and um, and newspapers that are cutting their page counts dramatically. 
So the way in which public relations agencies today are charged with um, producing results for clients are very different than it was uh, five years ago, 10, 15 years ago, where it used to be so earned media driven. Now today it's so driven by what influencers can, um, can an agency connect someone to Um, the creation and curation of social media content and through influencer marketing campaigns. Those tend to be, more important to many clients these days than a um, a press release or a feature story in the New York Times. And so uh, public relations by its very definition is changing and evolving. And to agencies' credit, I think they're understanding that and they're keeping up, many of them are keeping up with those trends. Um, and so... I think that the industry will continue to change and be different and look very different, you know, five years from now. Another hot topic, I guess, for a variety of positive reasons uh, is uh, diversity in the PR workplace. What's your view on it? What, and and uh, have you taken steps to, you know, to encourage greater diversity within your organization and or the profession? We have we have a diversity and inclusion committee uh, in our agency. We attempt to uh, work with uh, colleges and universities. Uh, we have a we have a wealth of HBCUs uh, here in North Carolina. We try to partner with them, uh, both from an internship and apprentice standpoint and hiring. Uh, but let's face it, the our industry is a mosaic, and it should be a mosaic. It should be. Uh, a compilation of diverse points of view, diverse opinions that are all knitted together into a big quilt. And when you do that well, you tend to have a, you know, a beautiful outcome, but it needs to take into account all these voices, um, experiences, and so on. If you don't have diversity and if you don't have um you don't make an attempt to understand the points of views of of all the constituencies that you may touch, then you've got a half-baked solution. And I think that, um, so I think diversity is key to the future of the industry. Um, and, I, and I don't just mean diversity from an ethnic standpoint or a religious standpoint, but I would also even argue that it's, critically important from a gender standpoint, because I do see that our industry has evolved from being a largely male-dominant industry to a largely female-dominant industry. And I think that it's important that we remember in firms that we need, we also need gender diversity so that you can bring different points of view. Men and women do look at the world a little differently. They have different interests. And so if you're going to be an effective counselor, you need to be able to coalesce all these points of view together to be able to bring forward the best solution. So I think we have to work very hard to also make sure that um, that we're not having particular gender segments that abandon our industry going forward. Hmm. Rick, I'm going to switch to a, a few final questions about you. You know, you as an individual, I know you're a family man and what have you. First of all, what are your hobbies? What do you do? You know, obviously you're 
you're busy a lot. You're involved in so many different things. But when you have some leisure, what do you like to do? Um, so I, I, I'm huge into sports. You know, I used to, um, I had a, I had a cup of coffee on the professional tennis tour after, um, after college. And so I still, I still play a little, uh, tennis and pickleball now. And, uh, I play ice hockey. Um, I play a couple times a week in, uh, men's leagues. I play, uh, baseball. I still play fast pitch baseball in a, um, in a men's league here in North Carolina and play some tournament baseball. So very, very sports oriented. Um, I also like getting down to uh, the coast of a beach house and a boat down there. So spending some time in the water and, um, you know, just um, I, I am huge into the music industry, sitting on a five different music boards. And so I enjoy going to, uh, to live concerts and, and shows and uh, being part of that. So uh, I keep myself pretty busy. Wow. How do you do it <laughs> with all that you have going? Who have been and who are your heroes and mentors along the way in your in your career? So my hero is my dad. Um, and, and that's mm. because I've never idolized sports heroes, actors, any of those people. I, I, I kind of I have friendships with many of them. And so I, I just see them as peers. Um, I've never been one to wear somebody else's jersey with their name on my back. In fact, I've never done it in my <laughs> life. Instead, I kind of walk in my own shoes, and but I follow the footsteps of my father, who um, never missed a day of work in his life. He, he's fortunately still with me, uh, as is my mom. But But the fact is that he demonstrated to me what work ethic is like. And he, you know, he never he never shorted an employer a day. Um, I never saw him. I think one time in my life do I remember him not being able to go to work because he was deathly ill and he still tried to get out of bed. And my mom said, "No, you're staying home." But he he instilled in me, I think, a work ethic about giving an honest day's work, and so that has always stayed with me. I've had. You know, I've had mentors along the way in in the agency business that I learned from. You know, early in my career, Tony Franco, when I worked for his firm in Detroit, yes. and yeah, yeah um, uh, Lee Trone, who helped back um, my firm here when I I got started in 1997, and he taught me about how to run a firm financially. Incredibly valuable use those things every day today. So there have been people who've helped me along the way, but I, but I say that, you know, that, that my hero is really my dad for instilling a, a great work ethic in me. And, uh, and I try to do that with my own daughters, both of whom um, work for the agency uh, here. And I, oh. I, oh. I see my youngest daughter is almost every single day, the last person to leave this office. I usually, I'm usually the last person other than her, and I'll go up to her office, and there she is still working. So I, I guess maybe some of um, some of what I learned from, from my dad, hopefully, is, has rubbed off on my kids. I guess you, you all have the family genes, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> I suppose. Yeah. I know, and a wonderfully positive gene it is. <laughs> um <laughs> Are there things you'd like to do personally or professionally that you've perhaps put off because of uh, current priorities? Honestly, no. And, and I say that because 
I have so many smart, talented people that I have surrounded myself with that that if I were to step away from the business for a period, like when I went last summer to go make a movie in Malta, the agency ran just fine. And so I have, I have the unique ability because of the talented associates and senior executives that I've surrounded myself with to go do the things that I want to do. If there's a music festival I want to go to, I go to it. If I, um, I want to take time to check on my baseball team or go, you know, go to something that is a life experience. I, I have the, um, I have the privilege of being able to do that. So I, I've not, I've not felt like I've shorted myself in any way, but it's also why I don't feel like there needs to be like a lot of people look towards a retirement where they can then go do the things that they've been putting aside because I've been able to do those things kind of along the way and because I enjoy what I'm doing so much, I've never had this desire to look at what my my own exit would be from the business and so, or even just stepping back from it per se. So I find that to be enriching in my own life to, to do it and now I get to share that um, that experience and some of those things with my daughters as they learn the business and take on increased responsibility and so on. So I, I feel like I'm a, a, a pretty fortunate guy in that regard. Gosh, I'll say you are. <laughs> One final question, and that is this. How do you, Rick French, want to be remembered? I would like to be remembered as someone who always treated the people he came in contact with respectfully and fairly. I I know that not everyone's going to agree with every decision I make or um, every strategy we put forward, but I hope that they know that it, anything that was done was done thoughtfully and with respect to them and that I've tried to treat them the same way that I would want them to treat me. I'm incredibly grateful for every opportunity that I have received. I feel, you know, coming out of growing up in the Metro Detroit area as a journalist, I never thought I would be, have the opportunity to, to be in the world that I have the, you know, the good fortune of being in and working with the people that I, you know, I work with on a, on a daily basis. And so I am, extraordinarily thankful for that and I never lose sight of that and I I try to tell people all the time be thankful for the opportunities that you have because you never know where the next opportunity is going to lead you so I kind of look at that from a life standpoint and think to myself that if I can look myself in the mirror and feel like I did the right thing or I made every effort to do the right thing and that I treated somebody very fairly the way that I dealt with them, then anything else that uh, I may have accomplished or so on will pale in comparison to just trying to be a good person. We've been talking with Rick French, chairman and CEO of French West Vaughn. Rick, on behalf of the many PR Masters podcast listeners throughout the country. I thank you so much for joining us today. You've given us a lot to think about. 
a lot of good advice and a lot of insight into where our beloved industry is going. So thank you for joining us, Rick. Art, thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure to to speak to you, my friend. Thank you for the service that you've provided to our industry over so many years and and uh, and the advice that you've given to me and opportunities. And so um, I'm I'm really thankful to call you a friend. And vice versa. Thank you so much. Thank you, Rick. And that's it for today, folks. Thank you so much for joining us. And thank you, Faye Shapiro, publisher and editor-in-chief of Compro, for your support and sponsorship of these podcasts, which are now in their fourth year. So, everybody, this is Art Stevens of the Stevens Group, your host, signing off. Until next time, stay well. Mm-hmm.